Listening to the Taku Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo! Today's episode is our first of our fall 2018 anime season reviews. It's time to jump into these shows, give you guys our thoughts on it. We'll be doing three parters for the fall 2018 season, so look forward to many other shows. I think we kind of pretty much divided up into segment of three. So we're looking at about probably 21 or so more episodes it depends on if we watch anything else before then and we get to the third parter but about 21 episodes we watch this season so we'll be running through this episode sssss Gridman, the girl in twilight rascal does not dream of bunny girl senpai Urodoku, the world in colors bloom into you banana fish and today's menu for the emia family are you excited to dive into these shows Yes. Okay, that was a pause. <laughs> but yeah, we probably will be doing a spoiler discussion. I hope you finished Gridman. I did. Okay, thank you. <laughs> probably doing some discussion on some of these ones because I was kind of excited about talking about some of these things with Chris. So I forced him to watch SSSS Gridman. I think he kind of got the 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 idea to probably he needs to watch it based on my talks on it with our uh, 2018 best of debate. But um I think in the end I was like, yeah, it was some stuff I really want to talk about. So you should you should go watch that. I was gonna think about putting it off for another episode, but I'm like, I really want to talk about it now. So watch it. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, let's without further ado, let's dive into the fall 2018 anime season. Give you guys our thoughts on all these shows and um, say goodbye at the end. But starting things off is gonna be SSSS Gridman. This one was streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, done by Studio Trigger in a collaboration with uh, Suburaya Production, who, of course, did the Gridman, the Hyper Agent series. Uh, the genres are action, mecha, and sci-fi. And this one follows Yuta. He wakes up at some point to the very first episode, and he does not remember his past. He has amnesia. Uh, he's met with Rika, who, with, you know being persuaded by the mother, decides to take him to the hospital, get him checked out, see if he hit his head or something like that. Um, but then it kind of opens up from there is that uh, Utah is seeing these gigantic figures in the distance, in the shadows, and these big, huge things are pretty much the, sage, the size of something like Godzilla. They're big, huge kaiju, uh, if you know that term. But uh, yeah, nobody else kind of notices them. He kind of goes out his daily life, the life that he was in. He doesn't really remember much. Um 
going to school and whatnot. And at some point at uh, Rika's mother's shop, there's this really old computer sitting there. And um, this Gridman appears on the screen and is calling out to Yuta, telling him that he needs to fulfill his destiny. He needs to go out and fight. And Yuta doesn't really know why. But at some point, these uh, huge kaiju appear in the town and destroying things. And Gridman kind of persuades Yuta, it's time to go. We have to go fight this thing. And sucks him into the monitor. And then he grows really huge into Gridman, this gigantic kind of uh, mecha-looking uh, robot form that fights the kaiju, beats him up. And the interesting thing that comes from it is after he beats up this kaiju that's destroying the city and you know school and everything... When they wake up the next morning, the school is restored. Everything is restored. The entire city is restored. But the kind of twist that's thrown into there is that anybody that was involved in the mayhem that might have been killed, specifically with this particular first encounter, this uh, one of their classmates uh, got was at one of the, was at the school when the explosion happened. Anybody that died during the fight, they're they don't get restored. And they come to find out these people are actually not only dead, but that everybody doesn't see that they died from that particular encounter. Specifically with this particular student, they go to their home and they find that person had died like 10 years be- uh, prior. So it's almost like their their death is rewritten along with the destruction of the town is rewritten as not being happened. Um, so it is kind of a, a real weird mystery that's kind of involved with it. They're also joined by a show who's kind of a a geek in the in the realm of uh, kaiju who joins Yuta and Rika as they're kind of trying to figure out what Gridman is, why these kaiju there, what's all involved there. And kind of in the shadows in the background throughout the entire series, you have this girl named Akane who is another classmate of theirs who is joined with a sh- kind of a mysterious figure named Alexis who's in a monitor screen at her home. And she kind of molds these little sculptures of kaiju. And these kaijus are the ones that end up uh, attacking the town. So you're trying to find out while you're watching who is Akane and why is she doing this for Alexis who seems to be this evil figure that is uh, trying to fight Gridman in some way, shape, or form. So that is SSSSS Gridman. Totally a trigger show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one was... Um, this is one I think in my first impressions of it I wasn't too hot on. I, I really wasn't... Mainly because in the earlier parts of it, probably the first three episodes, I really wasn't getting anything out of it. I acknowledged that it had this kind of charm to it for those that are fans of the uh, the Gridman genre and, and uh, intellectual property. And the idea that there's, there's these cute little uh, nods to it. Like, it, it feels... It, the way that they, they animate the fight scenes between Gridman and the Kaiju is very reminiscent of those old live action gridman fights it looks the kaijus look very rubbery they look like their suit that somebody's wearing um the way they're kind of you know slamming through objects in the city it looks very kind of toy cars and stuff like that in a cg format and i for that i nodded at it like yes i agree to this but i'm not a huge gridman fan so it was like one of those things where like i acknowledge that but it's not me. It's not. That's not my fandom. So I'm not going to get all these references. But I did acknowledge that aspect of it. So my my focus was really going more in towards the characters and seeing what they were going to do with them because I wasn't so interested in the kaiju and Gridman, and I wasn't getting anything there. I was I was really kind of bored with the characters. It didn't seem like they were doing anything. I, I kind of acknowledged that Rika was 
had some kind of feelings for Utah. And then the entire I, thing turned around on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the only thing that kind of grabbed me towards that, like, later part of doing the first impressions was, like, I'm kind of interested in who this Akane girl is. She's, like, this kind of dark figure in the background. She's making these little things. She's upset about what happens to Kaiju. Um, that's what kind of said, I'm going to give it a few more episodes. And then kind of at some point it opens up. And it says, this is kind of what's going on in the background. This is kind of who's, you know, the puppet master. This is kind of what the mechanics of this world is. It's describing why it's resetting and how it, all that kind of stuff goes down. Why people disappear and stuff like that. And at that moment, I was like, okay, you got me. You you got me on this. I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to see what it's going to do. And it's one of those things where it's like, it, it caught me from that point And I was stuck on it. And I was totally on board all the way to the end. Um... And then it kind of nailed the ending. I, I was I really was surprised by the ending. I I would like I said, I thought that it had kind of used everything it had. Like it it showed all of its cars that middle point. And I was like, there really is nothing else you're probably gonna do with this, are you? And it it, it exceeded my expectations. It did co- something completely different, and I was completely surprised by it. And um in the end it was a really fantastic show. But like I said, that that first few episodes, it's another one of those ones where it's like, just get past the first few episodes. If you're not a huge Grid Man fan like I wasn't, you're you're gonna struggle with those first few episodes. But I think it's one of those ones where once you get to that kind of reveal point, it's just kind of it goes with it all the way to the end, and it was really enjoyable, right? Yeah, this one, oddly enough, I I think it looks gorgeous. Let me get that out of the way. I I absolutely was floored by how how great this show looks all the way through. I got a kick out of Andrew wanted me to watch it and I, I, I did go ahead and watch it and it still took me a while to start seeing what it was that they were trying to show. And you got I hooked was, at the train scene at least, right? The subway with the, the, the little kaiju. That the was little the little kaiju is what, what, yeah, the, the second train scene, not the, that the was the reveal scene. scene. That was, yeah, that's the, that was about. the, that was the reveal point. And it was like, okay, this is odd what they're trying to reveal here. And I have to admit that that moment was really kind of a a very early twist that really kind of changed the entire way that you're uh, you view you're, the world. you're viewing this entire show. And it is a very interesting, even up until the end when I thought that I had an idea of what it was, it kind of revealed, oh no, you don't. This is really what it is. And then it opened up that final curtain and it was like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that one. We'll we'll go with it. <laughs> I so I I'm I'm really mixed because it was even when all these things were really kind of revealed, it did feel kind of still slow. And maybe it was more because of the action itself. Um I I just never could quite get into it. And this show is very heavy on its action. The story itself is there and it's a constant through point. And so it was really kind of this mixed bag of, okay, I almost really, really wanted to skip through the action scenes, but I knew that there was a lot of dialogue. It's the, 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 the action scenes are pretty dialogue heavy. So you kind of don't want to skip through it. So take that into consideration. But other than that, it was a really, really great show. I really enjoyed the story that they had there. I don't think that was really much the dialogue in the, all like 90% of the show with the combat scenes, it was really kind of the later ones that, yeah, there's people talking throughout the entire thing. But I, I think it's, it's odd because I, it's, it's one of those things where I want to critique something, but then you kind of can't 
uh, you you can't when you realize that there's a reason. Like the characters, I don't think that the characters were the main three characters. I didn't think that there was really much to them. A lot of the focus was on Akane, and it's funny because it's one of those shows where you, when you finish the show, you realize that there's a reason why. And so it kind of makes it hard to critique it. Like it explains why Yuta is the way he is. It explains why Rika is the way she is. They really don't explain show, but that's fine. But it's it's funny to kind of think that I can't really criticize that the fact that I was struggling with the characters so much and that I felt they were so plain because it does technically explain uh, explains the end why these characters are the way they are. It, to kind of give you a not really spoilers because it's it's kind of just an example. It'd be like having a show where it has a character who uh, has no emotion, and then you find out later it's because their parent died. It's something like that, and um, for that reason, it's like one of those things where it, it feels like besides the Gridman fights themselves, which again I acknowledge is for the fans of Gridman, and it does touch on that nostalgia for them. I've heard plenty of people discussing how all these all these little quirks to the Gridman fights, that is a total nod to the fans. But for me, the Gridman fights, I could have been without them and I'd be perfectly fine. I, I think it's nice to have them to explain the entire system that they're putting into play. Um, but they weren't they weren't the, the highlight for me. I did like the weighty feel of the fights. I didn't like the CGI at all. Um, you were saying that the animation... I, I think that the character designs are great. I think that they... And I think it's probably the huge draw for most people. Most people joke about the fact that Rika and Akane were... Basically, the, the creators designed them to be uh, their figure to draw in fans, to be desired by. And I think they pulled that off. They're very cute uh, characters, and they were a draw for the, the beginning parts of it, just because their character designs were so sexy and, and appealing. But it wasn't really, like I said, until that like point of reveals that I was really kind of hooked into it. And I, I can't say that all the fights were pointless and I didn't like them. I, I enjoyed a, a few of them. They just weren't my cup of tea. They weren't what I was drawn to. What I was drawn to was the, the cool twist they put in there. So I, I think that's one of those things where if you are somebody, I know there's a lot of people that dropped off at the early parts because of the Gridman aspects of it. And they weren't huge fans of Gridman. Um, my point is, is that it's a show for those that aren't huge fans of Gridman because it does have a really cool story back there. And, um, you just kind of have to wait through that beginning parts of it and do understand that the later parts, it does explain why the characters are the way they are. So it, 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 if it is a hang up for you, know that there is an explanation for everything. And so for that reason, it does make a nice, uh, it is a very well-written, uh, series in the end because you realize that everything is for a purpose, um, and watching Akane throw her food at uh, 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 her little kid kaiju was really funny. So that was another draw to keep going. <laughs> there, was a lot of, there was a few, a uh, couple action scenes outside of the Gridman fight that were really cool too. I liked uh, the fight with um, the other members and, and Auntie, as his name is later, was really cool. So yeah, um, I liked Auntie's story. It was really cool. I liked uh, Akane's story. I liked Rika's story at the later parts of it. Um, was really solid, so like I said, just not a not a huge fan of Gridman. Not a huge fan of the fights. That's fine, but I think even for those that are that are like me, that I think there's a lot of really cool stuff in here, and some really cool stuff that I want to discuss in our spoiler segment. So if you've watched the show, you can enjoy our discussion of that. But um, yeah, it got a little crazy with the trigger animation towards the later part there when they they're quote unquote waking up. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, there's Trigger. Trigger had to get some crazy animation in there somewhere. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Trigger, and so it was it was it was refreshing to have a show that I enjoyed going through. And I and I do acknowledge they're they have some really clever uses of scene composition and stuff like that that really did shine in that series. So there you go. Just wish they would not have done CGI for the the fights themselves. Come on, Trigger. Anyways, that was on. probably the other studio. There was no other studios for this one. I thought that was a, a co-op. No, they this were one just was a co-op as well. No, it's just a they were commissioned for it. So, yeah. Uh The Girl in Twilight is our next one. Uh this one is Akane Sasu Shoujo. This one was streaming on High Dive, ran for 12 episodes, done by Studio Dandelion Animation Studio and Jumonji. This one is a uh, original series. The genres are action, school, sci-fi. And the creator of this one, or quoted as being the creator of this one, was Kotaro Uchikoshi, who did script work for Punchline and Zero Escape. And the script was done by Shogo Yasukawa, who did Hineko, Mitsubishi Colors, Planetarian, Shivlifel Knight. And this one follows a girl named Asuka and her band of friends that are members of the Crystal Radio Club, as they call it. Uh, Asuka basically made this club and kind of roped in a bunch of different friends and others into the club. There's Asuka, again, as being the main person. She's a very ginky character. Nana, who's a character that seems like she wants to be more in with the in crowd, but still gets roped into Asuka's little group. Yu, who seems to be a supporter of Asuka, childhood friend. There's Mia, who seems to have kind of, um, she's shy, she's from a rich family, very, not very outspoken, that kind of type. And then there's Chloe, who's kind of a bookworm, she would rather be kind of left alone kind of person. Um, and they're all kind of, for some reason, this this <laughs> seemingly unmatching group of friends all joining together to do this kind of Crystal Radio Club. But they're kind of doing this weird kind of um, uh, myth that if you do, if you do this little you play a radio at this certain shrine at this tree something will happen and they do that and they go out to the shrine and they do this little ritual they usually do and they did this certain frequency and suddenly they're transported to another world and this other world is kind of seemingly barren there's real monsters there they're attacking and and this other person that seems to be identical in every way to asuka shows up and beats up the bad monsters and they get warped back to their original world and you would think that they would stop at that point, but they don't. <laughs> and thus begins this adventure of them finding some frequency number, being told some frequency number to go to, and they go back to the shrine, they they change the frequency to it, and they're transported to another world. Uh, but they kind of get an idea of the mechanics of what they're doing is essentially that each one of these worlds they go to is a parallel world that is seemingly the same people within it, uh, but slightly different aspects of the world itself like the very first the very the second episode the second world they go to is a world where uh kids when they reach a certain age they have to marry and they 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 have a signed marriage and they have to they have to be married to that particular person there's another world where it's kind of like a utopia for amazon where everybody lives alone on different locations different islands and everything is brought to them and any desire they have is brought to them by this little drone that will drop a package so they can just get on their phone select that they want something and it's brought to them so they don't have to worry about anything else but just tap that screen and they get it so and the other kind of weird thing about these worlds they visit is that even though the five of them will go there 
it always seems like one of them will become the actual self of that world, whereas the other ones are then copies in that world. So that was kind of another weird little interesting thing to the actual systems that they're they're kind of playing with this particular story. So yeah. Uh, this is a show that early on, I really wasn't feeling it. But I wanted to give it a shot because, like with all originals, I always think there's kind of something really interesting there that they could tell that, you know, is going to catch everybody off guard and be something unique and new. I always like something that doesn't have a source material, so you never know what you're expecting going into it. And I think by the first episode, I really wasn't feeling it. I think it was when it was getting into the second arc or the second world they went to that I was like, this could do something. Because that particular arc did one thing really good and then something kind of meh. What they were kind of doing was it almost seemed like they were going to take each of these characters, go into a world, or take all these characters, go into a world, and have one of them get kind of submitted into the world itself, embodied into the world itself, and have to face something that they're dealing with and have a good character moment for them. And then they all kind of go back to the original world. That first episode kind of gave me a hint of that. Like, okay, here's this girl. Was particularly This particular case was Nana. This is a girl that kind of wants to fit in. She wants to be popular. She gets thrown in this world where she's forced to have to marry somebody and kind of give up her life and be a wife without her choice. And I was like, okay, this is cool. She's having a really, she's really upset about this. And of course she finds out it's an idol and she's like perfectly fine from it after that point. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, a, eh, you want, you almost did something there and then you kind of just backtracked it. And then you kind of jumped in this whole thing about her father and, ex- and how much her father actually loves her. And I was like, okay, cool. So you can do something with this. And it never really did anything like that. I mean, it, it, it's what it was going for, but it never really hit any high points after that point. It just went to each world, and it was really telling the next one was like this cowboy world, and Mia was this sheriff girl, and and it got really kind of goofy and and lighthearted, I guess. Not really, not really kind of comical, but lighthearted and not really hitting any kind of emotional beats. It it seemed like it was trying to, but it never really did hit those those high points. I was kind of a little intrigued by the the Amazon world. We know where we're kind of, I, I of course I said it with Amazon world. You, the the concept they were going for over there was definitely something we could see in the future. We're already talking about Amazon drones being a thing already, so that one kind of hit some good notes, but it it never really it never really did anything spectacular in the end. Uh, the last arc was okay. I enjoyed it a little bit. Um, Siriaska, as they call her, and. Uh, them trying to Asuka finding out her true purpose and sadly never really kind of answering all the st- all the the questions that we had about her her missing brother but I don't know it's one of those ones where it had a lot of potential a lot of potential in this storytelling but it it kind of just devolved into goofy different worlds they go to have fun kind of thing not really so much uh character study that they could have easily done with having these characters being submitted into the worlds they go to. So, And it wasn't uh, a particularly uh, good-looking show either. So a lot of really bad CGI. All the combat sequences are CGI. It, each character kind of gets their, their magical girl wand, so to speak, and they all have transformations. Those designs weren't all that great. So yeah, it's, it's kind of muddled by just the the goofy nature it decided to go with. I, I think it, like I said, I had a really good Oscar moment towards the later parts, but it never could pull itself out of 
um, what I thought was kind of a very mediocre series as a whole. So, if if any of those 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 concepts sounds interesting to you, though, I I definitely say go check it out. But um, kind of hold your expectations, I guess I can say. How much of it did you watch? Did you watch that first arc? Just that first, that first, that second arc, technically. Yeah, that's um, that's the girl in Twilight, or Akana Akane Sasu Shoujo. Again, streaming on High Dive if you want to check it out. Moving on, we have Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai, or Seishun Buta Yaro wa Bunny Girl Senpai no Yome wo Minai. This one streamed on Crunchyroll. Ran for 13 episodes, and it will have a movie sequel. It was done by Cloverworks, and the source is a light novel, and the genres are comedy, romance, school, supernatural. The creator is Hajime Kamoshida, who did script work and series composition for Just Because, and was the creator of Sakurasao, and did some script work for Iron-Blooded Orphans. This one follows a boy named Sakuta, and he's in high school, and he kind of is tied up in what they call puberty syndrome or adolescent syndrome there's like a million different ways i've seen it translated we're going with adolescent syndrome but uh there's this there's this kind of seemingly supernatural element that they kind of introduce right off the bat called adolescent syndrome uh i think our first kind of introduction to it is in the fact that sakata and his sister kaida has experienced it he has this very large claw mark what it looks like on his chest and his sister apparently was bullied and the bullying apparently manifests itself as actual physical harm and decided to – has basically become a shut-in and no longer goes to school and is afraid of phones. Um, and the kind of first real story that we get coming into the show is that he goes into this library. And he's in the library. Suddenly this girl who is actually a student at the school he goes to – uh, doesn't really show up often because she is a a, a famous uh, child actress. And she comes into the <laughs> library in a bunny outfit. And she walks around and nobody seems to be noticing her except for Sakta. And she realizes that he is noticing her and kind of mentions the idea of, like, you, you didn't see me. And he's like, no, I can, I can definitely see you. And she's like, well, unsee it or something like that. And then leaves. Well, come to find out, Mia or Maya is also... Uh, suffering from this adolescent syndrome and has suddenly is not being seen by people anymore. Her presence is disappearing. And it kind of gets to the description of adolescent syndrome is almost like a um, something that people kind of see in themselves or see in things that kind of manifest themselves through the belief of kind of existing. So like I said earlier, uh, Kaede was getting hateful messages on social media and it was saying things like doing harm to her and it manifests in her actually having these marks and 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 attacks upon her to the point where she kind of uh, locked herself up and again with Mai, she being a child actress had this desire to kind of not be seen by people because she's so popular and eventually it manifests itself in that people started forgetting that she even exists um so that's kind of the, the gist of Rascal Does Not Dream of the Bunny Girl Senpai. It's just Sakuta as he's meeting different girls that have different adolescent syndrome things happening to them or around them and him attempting to help them. Um, mainly because you kind of find out that he is kind of a really cool guy, probably due to the uh, things that he's dealt with with his sister and 
how they dealt with adolescent syndrome and um romances that bossom and goofy little quirks and and jabs at each other and um very monogatari-esque <laughs> let me get that out of the way this show is like literally took a lot of inspiration out of the monogatari series um it it through and through and i don't think that's a bad thing because i think that was kind of the the thing that that familiarity that definitely uh had grabbed me really early on but um what do you think of bunny girl senpai um, I think it looks pretty good. Um, I also enjoyed the stories for the most part. Um, my biggest beef with this show is probably Sakata himself. Um, I think that of all the problem of all the things that go on, I it, the way that this show works out, and like Andrew said, is very monogatari. Yeah, it it, it is kind of like that. It's it's kind of a a problem per girl, and each each problem gets solved in a episode or two and and it works out really well in that you get to explore the character um get to uh find out that that character's little quirks or something like that and it's it's a lot of fun to explore that unfortunately to me his reactions in a lot of cases he's very very cynical and he that type of character for some odd reason just doesn't doesn't quite work for me it it doesn't seem like he ever really truly cares about these characters and that is one of those biggest frustrations that i get out of this other than that the stories were really interesting the the um the puberty syndrome thing was really interesting little quirk that happened in this world um the relevance uh, in the bigger picture of whether or not anybody notices that that puberty syndrome is is interesting um questioning whether or not puberty syndrome is even a thing is interesting it was a lot of interesting things going on in the show um i have to completely disagree with everything there um i don't think that sakta ever uh insinuated that he didn't care about any of the characters i never got the impression they didn't care about the characters um on the opposite every single character that he deals with he has a strong connection with um yeah when he's with Mai, they have a lot of fun little uh uh teasing back and forth and that is kind of you can kind of maybe see that as i wouldn't say that as cynical more just kind of uh goofy jabs at each other uh when he had this the second arc really is with tomoe uh he cr- creates a very strong bond with her and a friendship that he again sees his sister in this girl so of course he i don't there would be no reason why he'd be cynical with her because he desires to help her where his sister was damaged. And so he kind of seen her, seen Kaede and this other girl and thus quickly jumped to try to help her and solve her issue. Even to the point where he has to put himself out there as, as the, in the public, not being with Maya, but rather being with Tomoe. I, I think the show is quite easily, I don't see a single flaw in the show. That's that's when I when I really kind of examined the show as a whole, I didn't see any flaws in it at all. It I enjoyed every single one of the stories. I love Mai and her being kind of disappearing. I think that was probably if I had to give any negative, I would probably say that Mai's story was probably the the story itself was the least interesting, but their relationship was what kept me going. Their their conversations, their their jabs at each other constantly was what made that arc so enjoyable. I love the dialogue. I love the script writing in the series as a whole. And their 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 conversations were the best. But unlike 
other stories that have this kind of blossoming relationship early on. It was a relationship that I thought was really well written. I think that my the fact that Maya didn't just disappear um, in her story so quickly, she actually came forward and was actually um, a character who actually is a believable relationship with this main character. Uh, her desire to do things for his sister because they you know, her being in a relationship with Sakata, of course she's want to have um, a strong relationship with his sister and her desire to help the sister out as well was really, really cute. Uh, again, going into Tomoe's story and how that kind of uh, parallel with Kaede and how he desired to help her out. Going into Ryo's story and her kind of uh, split personality. Going into the, the, the later story with getting into what happened with Kaede. All that stuff was just very well written. I loved every single kind of uh, conversations. I was hooked in every episode all the way through. I think visually it was outstanding. There was never a point where I thought the characters were off model. It looked great. The characters were cute as hell. And that made it even more, 10 times more emotional when they hit the the emotional points, like with Maya and her sister. Uh, I loved every single story. I loved the the concepts that it brought forth, the, the struggles that they're put through. Again, joking about it, but it is technically a very strong... Uh, uh, comparison is similar to the Monogatari series. Every single story they went into with each one of those those girls and the the demon they were dealing with, or the 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 monster they were dealing with, was equally as interesting as something like this, where each one of these characters had their own interesting story that they kind of have to hit on. And for that reason, I think it's there's there's I, I can't give any flaws of shows. The only flaw that I really have was that it technically didn't end, but finding out that it has a movie i am very excited to see what they end up doing with that movie because technically like if you watch the series you'll know there's there's still one thread left untold it didn't feel like i was upset by the way it ended it just was like okay but there's still this one other character i would love to kind of know about the movie's probably gonna get into it and um there's a lot of i love that it has a lot of things that yeah maybe they'll get answered with the the movie but there's things that we kind of were having fun me between me and Chris were, you know, trying to discuss theories on how things actually happen. Like I said, it'll probably end up being all answered in the movie, which I'm excited about as well. Um, so yeah, fantastic series. I think it was one of the, um, besides, uh, it fighting with zombie land saga was my favorite of the season. So I highly suggest checking out, especially if you're a fan of monetary series and, um, shows like that, or maybe even Snafu, um, a show like that, just because I think it has that, same witty um, script writing that that series had. So really great to see this coming out of, like I said, my, my I wasn't a huge fan of how Sakura Sao ended. Um, I enjoyed certain aspects of Just Because, but it, they did create a lot of fear for me, um, being that was the creator's previous stuff. So I'm glad to see their writing is getting even better. So I look forward to seeing what Hajime Kamoshida does next. So... Did I gush enough? Yeah, yeah I thought you, you you did that pretty solidly. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's uh, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai or Seishun Buta Yaro wa Bunny Girl Senpai no Yome wo Yanmanai. Again, I hope it doesn't take too long to get the movie. <laughs> Next one we have is Irodoku, The World in Colors or Irozuku Sekai no Ashita Kara. This one streamed on Amazon, ran for 13 episodes, was done by Studio PA Works. The source isn't original. Uh, these dramas are drama. 
Magic Romance. And the director was Toshiya Shinohara, who did Alone in the Sea and Red Data Girl. And the series composition and writer was Yuko Kakihara, who did Jimon Try, Orange, and Tsukigakirei. And this one follows Hitomi. It's kind of a semi-futuristic, kind of very uh, near-future setting when it starts out. And Hitomi is in this world that is filled with uh, magic. Mankind is kind of uh, utilizes magic heavily in uh, different things, entertainment and whatnot. There's uh, some subtle technology change that you kind of see. She has like this whole earring that has kind of a communication device in it and does all their kind of smartphone stuff in it but anyways she seems Hitomi herself can only see black and white she cannot see colors and she's very she seems very depressed at the very beginning she's very uh closed in and at some point she's supposed to go to see some fireworks with her grandmother she goes out there and goes to the location she's supposed to meet and the grandmother finally shows up and says sorry she's late and she brings out this thing that she has which kind of has an hourglass in the middle of it and it's a kind of a magic um, magic tool that she's going to use. She said, I've been collecting this moon dust for a long time, and it's time to send you back into the past. I want you to go back and uh, find myself in high school and and uh, kind of solve your, see if you can find joy there, so to speak. And Hitomi was going to kind of protest it, but she triggers the magic and sends Hitomi off, and she appears in some weird kind of train that's going through some weird clouded area, and then when she comes out the uh, of the train, she appears in some random boy's uh, room. Nobody's there, hope, thankfully. She climbs out the, the window to get out and goes off to try to find her family's little shop where they sell uh, magic enchanted sand and stuff like that. And gets to meet her grandmother's grandmother and parents. <laughs> And unfortunately, Kohaku is not there at the time. Who is Kohaku is the, the grandmother that sent Hitomi back. Um, so she's kind of forced to just kind of wait until she gets home and decides to go off to school and uh, see if she can do some things while she's waiting. And so she meets uh, several members that are actually a part of the photography group that actually spotted her coming out of one of the windows. Um, this photography group um, being Asagi, uh, Kurumi, and then the two boys, Sho and Shugusa. And they kind of find out that the boy that she came out of the window was... Uh, or the, the room that she came out of the window from was uh, a boy named Yuito Aoi. And as she tries to find this boy because she dropped her little earring in there, she comes to find out that he is actually an artist. He's drawing things on a little tablet. And when she sees this tablet, she can actually see the colors of the actual drawing that he's doing. And this little fish comes out, which is kind of weird. And she gets a little crazy... But she, there's a fish that comes out of it. But anyways, uh, but she comes kind of entranced by this guy's art and really wants to see more of it because she can actually see the colors within it. And in reverse, he kind of wants to see the magic that she can produce. And they join the club for the photography group. And they make a big magic photography art club. And they do things together while they wait for Kohaku to come back um, and come to find that Kohaku is actually a very uh, renowned... A magician because she's she's infamous. She has to she has to um, sign a waiver when she first joins the the school because Kohaku has done damage, so they're afraid that Hitomi will too. She has left a legacy. So, there you go. That's uh, Iroduku, the world in colors. Your thoughts? Freaking gorgeous. I like like beyond gorgeous, but 
I guess y'all probably already figured that saying is how it's PA works. Um, so what else can we say? There's a lot of really cool artwork concepts in this. Um, I like the, the idea of how they portray the world when it's in black and white, because Hitomi can't see the colors, how they communicate that between the characters that, um, like for instance, they'll, uh, she, they, they've joined a, a photography club. She, will only take pictures in black and white. And it, a lot of a, that that communicates that frustration to the other members of the club. So that was a really interesting thing that they did. Um, a lot of the uh, stuff that uh, Yuto was doing with uh, his artwork, how the, his frustrations and his artwork was being portrayed to other the other members of the club. And a lot of that stuff was really neat that they got to dig into. Um, a lot of the character dramas was very, very spot on in this show. All right. Um, yeah, visually, this show is very gorgeous. Uh, it was, it's one of those one steps of PA works that, like I've, I kind of mentioned before, where I always like that they, they, they put so much passion and work into their stuff that kind of keeps people like Kyoto Animation in check that they kind of have to keep stepping it up so it's almost like they're kind of in competition with each other and what beautiful shows they can make um and that translates to the visuals of this show i think um one of the th- i ended up putting this in our best of 2018s as being a artistic show because in the artistic concepts of the show are just very well done they contrast hitomi's the fact that she can only see black and white uh they contrast it very well in the idea that whenever they show colors in the world when it's not in her visual uh when it's not in her perspective everything is absolutely vibrant it it, it's especially shown in the little magic shop that her family owns is that they have all these jars of magical sand and all of them are just glowing with colors um so it, it it contrasts her her kind of isolatedness in her uh depression so to speak in the idea that whenever it doesn't it comes out of her view it's vibrant and you're seeing what she's missing out on. And I think that was kind of the concept they were going for was to kind of give you these, these, these luscious environments and then show you the toned down visual that she has and how that kind of portrays her emotion, that how she's uh, stuck in this little rut. And I, and it was, I, I also appreciate the fact that even though I'm not a huge fan of, of mono character or monotone characters. I'm not a fan of soulless dolls. I'm not a fan of robot characters, characters that just don't have any emotion to them. I appreciate the fact that Tommy wasn't, wasn't the type of character that I usually kind of frown upon. She was actually a character that slowly over time, she started kind of opening up and it was thanks to the friends that she was kind of getting. But every now and then you would kind of get reminded like, oh, yeah, that's, by the way, she's still kind of struggling with this. She still can't see the colors and the vibrancy, the vibrancy of the world that everybody else sees. Every now and then you would kind of, oh, yeah, by the way, here, here's a view from her. Everything looks so, so monotone. And it would go back. Um, the other kind of thing I appreciated was kind of the elements that they kind of played off with the characters to kind of, it, it was almost like they put Hitomi and Yuto together to kind of, obviously parallel their lives. Yuto has some kind of issue that he's dealing with and it kind of reflects in his his desire for art. Hitomi has this issue that she's dealing with and it 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 corresponds with her desire to do magic. She hates magic. She doesn't want to do magic. Here's this boy that doesn't want to do art. Both of them want each other's uh skills, so to speak, and so they're kind of leaning on each other that, well I want to see your art again. 
I'll show you magic. Well, I want to see magic again. Here, I'll, I'll make another art for you. And that was kind of cute to kind of kick things off the story. And after a while, they kind of just started exploring each of the side characters, Sho and his uh, love interest, Asagi, who likes Sho. Oh my gosh, PA works love triangles. <laughs> we were afraid of a hexagonal thing, but I'm like, no, they kept it to a love triangle. They didn't go that far with us, so that's fine. Uh, I thought it was cute, Chiku, uh, uh, Chigusa and his his crush on Kurumi and how he kind of expressed that. Uh, loved Kurumi because I love her seiyu, so that always that always helps whenever I hear her voice. Uh, Kuhaku was fun. She was definitely a great little Genki character to offset Hitomi's nature, and I think it was definitely. And I, I liked how they they definitely nailed her her nature of nurturing this like okay here this girl is actually my granddaughter and how she dotes on her uh, even though they're they're the same age at this point um how they kind of play off the the name play for that particular thing was cute the show the show kind of continues on like that in that particular order it just kind of turns into an almost slice of life story with this little magical element kind of thrown in there every now and then it was like a magical world slice of life and so for that point it wasn't it, it kind of did decently well. I, I I enjoyed the character arcs for each of these characters and watching their kind of relationships slowly blossom over time. And I think it came to a really uh, a decent little conclusion to it. I, not not the conclusion. Not not getting there yet. Um, the climax point of the story was decent. I I enjoyed how they were kind of using all their uh, their skill sets for the the big school festival and. I liked how each of the characters kind of came to a head for their, well, namely Hitomi and, and Yuito came ahead with their stories. I was decently heartbroken to Hitomi's backstory and why she is the way she is. I wasn't too much of a fan of how they kind of concluded uh, this particular scene that they concluded everything in. I thought that was kind of cheesy, but it is one of those stories that when it gets that last, that last couple scenes where they did that little kind of, this is where everything concludes, I thought it it to quote Chris knocked it out of the park. I think it, I think it's, it exceeded my expectations without it kind of concluded their stories. I think it took a while to get to that emotional high. Um, even though I did get, you know, a lot of heartbreak to his Tommy's backstory and how you got to see it. I think that was kind of the point in which it was like, okay, everything kind of comes together. Uh, even though it is a technically a time story, you, there's a lot of questions that you're going to throw into play. Like, well, how are they going to balance this out? Is it going to be parallel worlds, time story? And I think it did. Uh, it did it really well. I was I was actually very surprised by it. And to kind of to step back and to consider everything in the end and how it wrapped up, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I think it it made Kahaku's character like a thousand times better. It was a very bittersweet story, and I appreciated for that. Um, but yeah, in the end, it was. It was a it was a solid show. Um, I th- I don't think it was solid on the the drama beats throughout the entire thing, but I think when it got to them, it got to them really solid. So, and it looked really gorgeous. So, yeah. Yep. Anything else? I was gonna say that I didn't much care for the ending, but it was fine. The I didn't think it was the a pre-transport <laughs> or the, the very end. I don't think it was a very good chapter in. I'll I'll. I think if I explain what I think in our spoiler session, I think you change your mind. But I think it was solid. I, I think when you, I think they wrapped it up solid for a time story. Blooming to you is our next one. This one is Yagate Kimi ni Naru. 
This one's straight on High Dive. Ran for 13 episodes. Done by Studio Troika. Yeah, those guys that did All No Zero. <laughs> and Recreators. Oh, <laughs> that was the problem the entire it time. It was slain all it along. It was slain. Seiji was slain. Seiji is totally... Sl- no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, it was based off of manga. The genres are school, shoujo I. The series composition was done by Juki Hanada, who did Love Chinubia and All the Delusions, H2O, Sun Euphonium, Beyond the Boundary, Love Live, Nishijo, and Steinsgate. And uh, this one follows a girl named Yu. And Yu goes to this new school, and when she arrives there, there's kind of this, okay, what club are you going to join? And at some point, she's told to take some stuff to the student council's uh, office, and when she arrives there, she kind of gets roped into the student council office and and to uh, to join them and become a part of it. Um, and as uh, everybody's gone and the the up-and-coming student council president, she's going to run for it, uh, Toko is there along with you. At some point, they're kind of talking about the fact that you had gotten this love confession from somebody and uh, she wasn't really quite sure how to what to do with it. Toko suddenly confesses that she loves you <laughs> out of nowhere, even though they just met. And you doesn't really quite know what to make of this. Uh, you kind of has this weird uh, skewed impression that love has to be this magical moment. And uh, she kind of relents on the idea that when she was confessed to, she didn't really feel anything from it, even though, uh, I don't know, did she say it was novels or something that gave her the bad impression of what to expect from love? Something like that. Yeah, something did. Um, but Toko seems like she, you know, is is willing to kind of give that that space to you, but she... She's pretty open to you about what she feels and you doesn't really know how to respond to that feeling and doesn't really have any kind of feelings for Toko at all. Um, but that's basically the opening of it. It, it kind of turns from that is that is the main focus of the story and kind of sided with that is the fact that Toko is uh, this up and coming student council president candidate and she wants to use help to uh, be the next student council president for the school and um, she's joined with Sayaka, who you kind of quickly see that might have an eye for Toko as well. She's the vice student council president. Um, and they get two other boys, Seiji and Suguru, who join the club or they join the student council and, and aid them as well. But yeah, that's that's um, that's blooming to you. You going again? Sure. You're getting the starters every time because it seems <laughs> like I do like this long diatribe at the end of each of your reviews. I, I actually really, really surprisingly enjoyed this. I I thought it was actually pretty solid. Uh, the the artwork looks good. The uh, animation looks great. Um, I enjoyed the story more on the aspect of it didn't it it tried very hard to stay out of the. I, as as I kept going on, oh, this is going to go into the top bottom. It's going to go into the top bottom. It's going to go into the top did bottom. Anybody, did anybody uh, put a timer on to, trying to figure out when Chris is going to bring up top bottom? <laughs> and it actually, I was surprised it didn't, it did not rely on that very heavily. Uh, and I, I w- was very happy at that. It actually took the time to explain you. It took, while she is a, a bit too emotionless for my, my taste, I, I, and, and I know that sounds weird because I like emotionless dolls and all that stuff. I get it. It's just um, in this particular situation, I didn't. That's why I didn't like Aerodoka because she became emotional. <laughs> um, but you was a bit too. 
Now, I like the way that she explained her her feelings, and and I do like that. It it took the time to um, dig into her feelings. How does she actually feel about what's going on at that moment? And yeah, while she didn't portray it very well, she did actually it did actually take the time to think about it, and I, that's what I really did enjoy about this. Um, t- going into Toko's story and why why she was doing the things that she did and exploring those things. I really, really liked that it did take the time to do some actual character study on each one of these characters and digging into what their their mindset is and what is making them think about these things. That's what I mean by this was not a top-bottom show. It just actually explored why is Toko being the aggressor in these situations when she's obviously not a top, why is she doing these things? And I loved it. It, it was such a fun ride. A lot of really cool stuff to go into this. It's, it was a series that when I went into it, I wasn't really expecting too much just because as many know, I'm not a huge fan of the Yuri genre. Um, mainly because I, I mean, I appreciate the, the tantalizing, as, tantalizing aspects of the Yuri concept, but whenever it comes to Yuri as a, actual romantic storytelling it never seems like they do it any justice it always ends up turning into um why did you kiss me did why did they kiss me why did they kiss me uh, for like 13 episodes or however many volumes it never really doesn't most yuri that i've ever experienced doesn't really ever do anything outside of the confusion of the first advance and the second advance and the third, third advance and so when I went to Bloom and to You, I was like, okay, well, this is Troika. They're, they, they've done a lot of great things in the past that I've enjoyed. What is in this story that they would go away from the, the typical action they've done and dive into a Yuri love story, romance? Obviously, they see that there's something here that's worth telling. They did a fantastic job visually to, to begin with. It was a very beautiful show. Um, they did a lot of really cool little especially the OP was very beautiful and had this really cool little uh, concept of the, the flowers and whatnot. Um, but going into it as a story itself, I wasn't really blown away by the first episode. I think in my first impressions, I mentioned the fact that I, I was bored. I, I literally was bored by the, the show itself in the first few episodes. It just wasn't really doing anything for me. I, I, I appreciated the fact that it wasn't, relying heavily on this why they do that why they do that why they do that um and i thought that it was definitely diving into just very believable characters but i also kind of mentioned the idea that this is a that's a concept if you make the characters too realistic it then becomes boring life and i and i didn't really realize that that was setting me up for the fact that this show this show the story itself would be a very believable story because it felt so real and so, based off the fact that I knew that the, that there was really good, solid storytelling that was happening, just wasn't completely engaging for me, and the fact that it was Troika and it was visually beautiful, and that I thought that you was a really cute character, I was like, I want to give this another shot. So I dived back into it to see if it was, it was going to end up, you know, grabbing me as much as I thought it was going to be at the very beginning. And it just kind of took off from there. I was really kind of, I think it was really the point in which they had this whole kind of photo shoot with you and Toko. And she had this whole moment of like being very frustrated with uh, with Toko and how selfish she was in this in this, in this regard. That I was like, okay, this, the it was really the inner dialogue that was really grabbing me. It was like, you kind of mentioned the idea that really kind of exploring what they're thinking. 
And it was, it felt like these characters are really thinking things through. Yu was really thinking her uh, relationship with Yoko through and through. Very beginning, of course, not really, not really for the for the most part, not really having a relationship, but really kind of exploring the fact of why does she like me so much? Why don't I feel anything? Why do I have to go along with this? Should I go along with this? Why does Toko see this in me? Why do other people see this in Toko? All these kind of things they were kind of exploring, and it kind of on top of that added Toko's story, which I wasn't really even thinking that was going to be anything to her. Until, like, the later parts where it really starts kind of peeling away the shell that Toko has that she's willing to show to, to you, these this inner self of her to you. And that kind of added another layer to everything. It was like, okay, this is what Toko is, and this is what she's really doing. And I was really surprised by that. It was this whole thing where she's – I don't think it's really much of a spoiler, and I think it's kind of important to explore What, that she's going to kill her? herself? <laughs> no, this, <laughs> this fact that she is trying to relive her sister's life. Her sister was the student council president at the same school. She wanted to do this particular um, this particular event at the uh, the festival, and she wanted to do it too. And kind of getting into that kind of idea and how self uh, how detrimental it is to her, even though she might not see it, was a really cool thing to kind of dive into. So I think it this so easily. Um, I can't think of the last really solid romance show I've seen in anime. And this was probably the first one I've seen that I can even remember that I think was a fantastic romance story. I enjoyed it a lot. You know, I think most of it isn't really um, romantic, but more of just exploring what it is to feel for somebody to even, it, it wasn't even to the point of them actually being romantic. It was a lot of, it was just them struggling if they could even be romantic and I appreciated it. I thought that it was very well written. I, I appreciated the characters. They felt very real. And I think to be a solid romance for me, you have to kind of believe the characters. And I believe the characters. I was following you throughout the entire thing. I I I hurt for her when she realized how what Toko was doing to herself. I wanted to see this thing kind of all the way to the end. Which comes into my only real hot negative for this particular series is, I won't say hot, I'll just say it's like a, I'm in the middle, because it doesn't necessarily, it kind of builds up to something very important, and everything, a good half of the show is the build up to this particular event, and while they technically play it out with a, a particular conversation, it didn't necessarily do that, and it didn't feel like a particular character made the big choice that they would think that they're going to make to conclude the story. So while I I feel that I can kind of feel that it technically said it, it didn't. And that is kind of a stain on the very end of it. I kind of wanted that last answer. I don't know if Troika's doing a, a sequel, I, I haven't seen anything that says they're going to do a sequel. I don't know that it was a manga bait. It it doesn't it doesn't feel like it was a drop off. I don't feel like I was cheated, but I do feel like there was something that they were kind of trying to allude to that they never really answered. And for that, that's like the only stain that it has for it. But I don't think it ruins the story. I still highly recommend it. I I I thought it was a fantastic series. Like again, I I can't even remember the last time I watched a a romance show that I enjoyed this much and the characters are very believable. I love that the, the turmoil they were going through, the inner dialogues were fantastic. It was just 
it was a great series through and through. It looks like the manga is still going, going, so it's probably why there's no answer. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get another season of it because um, I really enjoyed it. I but I do, I do have to say that the first few episodes, I I was I have to admit I was bored, but it was in the fact that, like I said, I think they were trying to go for believable characters, and sometimes that initial thing isn't really all that entertaining. They weren't trying to make the characters, you know, crazy ganky characters and crazy comedy left and right. It's it's a very through and through slice of life romance story. And I appreciate it for that. So anything else? No, I, I, I really enjoyed myself watching the show. Yep. And knocked out of the park. That's Bloom into you. Or uh, Yakate Kimi ni Naru. Hopefully we'll get a, a second season. Alright, so I've been really positive this entire podcast. <laughs> it's time for me to be not as positive. Uh, we go into Banana Fish. This one was streaming on Amazon. Uh, ran for 24 episodes. Done by Studio Mappa. The source is a manga. And the genres are action, adventure, drama, and shoujo. This one follows Ash Link mainly. Well, I think it kind of starts off with following Eiji. Eiji, who is a Japanese boy who is going into America with his, was his friend or his, his boss? I forget. Uh, anyways, going with another reporter to America to interview a particular member of a mob group, which his name is Ash Link's. And uh, Ash Link is kind of a, he's kind of gotten a name to himself. He's this blonde, very pretty boy um, that is kind of a head of a group of gang members under the head of Dino, who is this big uh, uh, mob boss of the, of the location. Papa. Papa. Yeah. Papa Dino. Uh, but anyways, as they arrive there, I call him Dino when we first did the preview. <laughs> I feel so bad. <laughs> Papa Dino. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, they go into this this little kind of bar and they meet Ash Lynx and AG's kind of uh, fascinated by this this boy who is the same age as him that is you know very strong and very into this this team and he's he's very well respected and feared, uh, just totally different uh, cultures they've kind of grown up in. Um, but yeah, that kind of quickly. Uh, takes a turn for the the worse as uh ash links and his little group of people as ag and the other reporter is there talking to them their little bar gets attacked and they're kind of flushed out by this other uh team that is trying to kind of snuff out ash links because a lot of people seem to hate ash links uh because gangs and stuff and, and territories uh, but during the process, uh, some of their friends end up dying, and it kind of goes downhill from there as as Ash Links tries to get revenge on it. Um, on the side of the line, you kind of find out that Ash has this brother who his name is Griffin, and Griffin was basically a part of the Iraq War, and at some point uh, showed up after going away from the his team, shows back up and starts just open firing on his own members. And they had to tackle him down, and you kind of find out that something, some type of drug has really messed with his head and uh, kind of made him go psycho. And now he's kind of in a comatose state, and they're trying to find out what this thing is that somebody has said it was called banana fish is, and try to find out who was responsible for what happened to his brother. And all the while, being under 
the watchful eye of the the big boss guy Dino and and all the different gangs that are trying to fight for power and the kind of background story of the fact that everybody's trying to find out what this banana fish is, uh, develop the banana fish, and yeah, dealing with it. So yeah, that is that is banana fish. <sighs> Do you want to go first? <laughs> I don't know. Ah, let's see here. I did really enjoy this show at first. At some point, it it felt like we had a really good, solid, interesting story going on. We had um, character. We had had everything that should work in, in a story like this. So you have multiple factions each faction has their own goal you have many different characters different levels of each character some characters who are untouchable because they're just so so powerful and and then you have other characters who have many many different uh groups underneath them that are that are trying to help uh help ash get it uh get his goals accomplished and goals were clashing with goals everything should have worked with this show and up until probably three quarters of the way of the first season, it seemed like it was doing it and it was doing it well. And then I don't know. We started explaining character motivations and everything started going downhill because I don't know if it just was, we were trying too hard for something edgy. I don't know. It just felt like, Character motivations were not well thought out. It is is how it felt to me. It, it we just had we had some that were okay, but others that were like getting lost in. Well, just because, and well, no, that's not a good enough reason. You have to have a reason. Ash was probably the most interesting character out of the entire show. Dino, maybe a close second, but not very, very, not that much closer. And other characters in the second season just ab- flat out made me mad. And and so it, at, towards the end of the show, at, at, when everything was said and done, I was I I was nearly happy it was over. I was so mad at the ending. I was hoping you would build it up and break it down a little bit. Uh, I agree with you. I, I, I think I think the we were very hot on the show at the very beginning. I thought it was fantastic. The the visual quality was fantastic. I love the character designs. I loved all the characters, the opening sequences. I loved Ash. I loved Edgy. I thought the concept of bringing in this kind of pure the the samurai boy, that this pure boy into this really dark environment, and then kind of him being the. Uh, Almost like the flower this really tough boy needs to to kind of uh, soften up a little bit was great. Uh, the action scenes were great. the 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 character risk was there. They 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 showed right off the bat that they were willing to put that these characters into some trauma. That there was uh, any character could end up being lost. All that kind of stuff was opening up to be a fantastic series. I was on board for like the first half of the first core, so six episodes in. I was on board. I was on full cylinders. I thought this was a fantastic series. It was going to be as great as everybody was kind of making it out to. When they, when they were first announcing this was being adapted, everybody was flipping out. They're like, Banana Fish is a great story. I was like, I'm on board. This is this is living up to expectations. I was I, I loved every bit of it. And then it kind of just p- 
petered off. I remember, I remember when we were doing the the reviews for uh, the last season, and this was pretty much at its twelve episode point. I literally would, I was, I was starting to forget what was going on because I, I was, it was losing me. Like that, that second half of the first core, it was already losing me. Um, but I think it, the nail in the the coffin was really the second core. I just, it, it got to this point where it didn't feel like there was any bad guys. It, it, it just didn't feel like there was any threat. Everybody was, even though it seemed like they were behind, on the other side of the field, it just seemed like they were just asking if they wanted to softly kick it to the left or the right. It almost felt like no, there was no competition. It just felt like everybody was... I, I like that aspect. Don't get me wrong. I like the aspect that no bad guy is inherently wrong. I like the idea that a writer can write characters so well that you see that they're reasoning for what they're doing and you almost understand why they're doing what they're doing. But this wasn't like that. This was literally like, I don't see these people as a threat anymore. I don't see anybody as a threat anymore. And it almost felt like they threw a character in at the very end just to finally, like, they're like, oh, crap, that's right. We don't really have a villain. They threw some random guy at the very end in, and he was like this just cartoonish bad guy that they kind of just threw in there just to be the the, the villain towards the later parts. And that, that was kind of the struggle that I had. I loved Lee's character. I thought Lee was fantastic and what he how he kind of what he does to his particular side and how he kind of rises the power. I was like, I like this dude. He is so cool. And he turns out to be like one of the worst characters at the end. It was like, how can you build so many fantastic characters? Dino was awesome. Even Frederick, as much as I hate him, was awesome. Blanca was awesome. Ash was awesome. Edgy was no, I'm not, I'll get back to Edgy later. Uh, Shorter was awesome. Max was awesome. All these you had, they had a huge cast of fantastic characters who all were introduced in fantastic ways and had so much possibility to them. And it almost felt like they got through that like second sentence and describing the character, and then they were like, "That's enough." And it was like, "What else? What are we also going to do with this character?" They had this great cast, and they did. They just didn't really do much with them after their first few kind of moments. And that was the holdup. And I think that's why I felt like there was no struggle in the end. Was I, I, I felt like they got they got their punchlines for all these characters. And then they were kind of just doing this whole edgy got, ca- edgy got captured again. Dance. Let's get edgy back. Oh, my friends got captured in the process. Let's get them back. Edgy got captured again. Well, let's go save edgy again. Ash got captured. Let's go get Ash Oh, my guys got captured again. And there was this whole kind of kidnap, let's get him out, kidnap, let's get him out, kidnap, let's get him out scenario that kept playing over and over again. Um, that kind of kind of ruined it in the end. So no, I I I this is a show that I was really hot on at the beginning, and I I think it kind of just it, it said its piece for each character, which I think again I said are they're fantastic characters. And then they just kind of they each every single one of the characters just kind of petered off with their story, and in the end, it didn't it didn't have any weight to the later segments of it. Um, I think um, as much as I liked Ash and Edgy's kind of concept, I think it kind of ended up not doing as much as I wanted to do with that that concept. I I really wanted, like I said, this idea this this pure boy uh, softening the the cold boy. It, it ended up after a while kind of turning this whole thing of like, if you're not going to do anything with Edgy, get him out of the picture because 
you you're, you're instead doing this really cool crime drama or this cool mafia drama thing and then kind of bringing him in the picture at the very end of it not really doing anything with it you might as well get rid of him and just do a pure crime thing i don't know i i feel like i'm i'm beating the dead whore at this point i like i said i think it looks visually great i think each of the characters are fantastic I think just the overall story in the end just didn't really do much. And that kind of felt like it wasted all these really fantastic characters. Not to say that the ending wasn't, well, there was certain aspects of the ending that I didn't like, but there was certain aspects that they did okay with. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my, that's the end of my, my summary is that I think fantastic characters, fantastic visuals, they just kind of, every character just cooled down at some point and, I didn't feel like they were doing enough with them. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. Just it, it it was overall it was just a really really frustrating show at the end. I I I I did love it at the beginning. I I give it props for its ending, but at the end end of the day, I was very very frustrated with it. But that's from a character study standpoint, pure and simple. Yep. And that's that's the frustrating thing is it's one of those it's one of those shows where you're like you want to love it. Like there's so many things to love about the show, but you almost want to criticize it because you wanted to love it so bad. Yeah. I think that's more of what it is. <laughs> yeah. So sorry to big banana, banana fish fans. Um, but yeah. All right. The last one we have is today's menu with the, em- or f- today's menu for the Emiya family or Emiya san chi no kyo no gohan. This one streamed on Crunchyroll. Ran for 13 episodes on in the format of an ONA. Basically, every month that they released one episode. And they were like 11-minute long episodes. They aired it from December 31st all the way until January 1st of 2019. It like it's been that long. A whole year. <laughs> so, yeah, this one was done by Studio Uda Football, who, of course, did the uh, Unlimited Blade Works series. So it was kind of interesting that they decided to do such a fluffy cooking show. The source is a manga, and the genres are slice of life and comedy. And this one basically follows the characters of the Fate Stay Night uh, series. Um, I guess, namely, you can probably say the Unlimited Blade Works series, but it's technically just the Fate Stay Night series as a whole. Um, as they, each character kind of taking turns showing up at Shiro's house, and Shiro making really fun, tasty foods, or every now and then kind of veering off to other characters who are trying to make food for other people, or in most cases, dragging Shiro into it, like Caster dragging Shiro into making something for uh, Street Shiro. So yeah, that's, that's basically the concept. Each episode is them kind of getting together for some particular event, or just getting together for that dinner that night, and the food that they decide to uh, choose to cook, and uh, making the food. You, often Shiro will explain how he's making the food, and in most cases it seems like they're very simple in concept, and then he serves it to the members of the cast and they eat it and they enjoy it. And then they say a thing or two and then the episode's in. So that's it. It's a food porn show, Chris. So automatically you hate it, right? I despise it, even though it's face. Good. So let's talk about it from a somebody who's okay with food food porn. So I thought it was all right. I, I, I really did enjoy a lot of the characters. It was so much fun seeing these characters mostly just in in kind of uh, letting their hair out and just chilling out and enjoying some food. It was a lot of fun getting the little quips between a lot of these characters that you don't normally see in a more 
um, just chill uh, personality standpoint. And I, it was a Still lot. Still hated Shinji though. Yeah, I don't remember that part. So I'll, I'll just pretend like that didn't even happen. So yeah, it was a lot of fun to see him. I, even Berserker and his his silly episode. Um, Ilya uh, jumping in and and chatting up with uh, with all the other girls. It was just a lot of fun to see all these characters in in just more of a dress down types. It's like watching Berserker and Ilya making a snowman. Yeah, I, I, it's it's great because. Everybody gets really mad when I talk about food porn shows, and they're always angry. Like, why do you keep watching these shows? And you always hate them. And I, I always give a chance to every an opportunity to every show, even if it is a quote unquote food porn show, um, just because I'm always willing to find out if there's something in it that I'm going to enjoy. Yes, this one technically does uh, break my hatred for food porn shows. And yes, I do fully acknowledge it is because my investment in the Fate franchise. I loved this show purely on the concept that I enjoy sitting down and enjoying some meals with this cast that I absolutely adore. This cast that I'm very invested in, that I've watched and bought Aniplex releases of of all these series that they're involved with. Um, that's really what it is. It is show, huh? Did we get the circus show? Unfortunately, not yet. No. Uh, but anyways, uh, so yeah, that that was my draw to this was watching Saber cute as she is eating food watching the rentasaka and her dealing with archer and how archer was cooking for lancer in his little shop and lancer having pretty much like so many weird odd jobs left and right that he's doing and selling fish on the side of the road uh watching like i said Ilya making a snowman with berserker it's just this really cute thing watching sakura come in with Ryder and Ryder huddling around a heater and trying and sakura saying yeah much she doesn't like being cold it was just seeing these characters who in the other series are brutally murdering each other (laughs) seeing them just sit down and enjoy a meal it was really cute it was very wholesome uh ufootable not doing that they didn't do ufootable like like unlimited blade work style animation and polish and crazy actions minus the beach volleyball scene which was totally fun them like okay let's have fun with a beach volleyball scene and they just go crazy wild with it and have them just blasting the ball over the place um but no just for the most part just a very soft style to it it's very very soft colors and just very wholesome feel to the show as a whole very light. and like i said very, having very light comparison to the the contrast of the the dark. I mean, literally, the the all of the palette is light. Yeah, very light. Where light, where yeah. the palette in in the actual show is very very darker in tones and vibrant. Yeah. Um, well, I guess they're both vibrant in their own way. It's just light and darkish. Yeah. Soft. Anyways, uh, yeah, that was and it was funny because it was also the 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 cooking itself was. It was eleven minutes episodes, and it really did feel like the the cooking sequences and the food itself was just a very small portion of it. The most part was just them kind of deciding what they wanted to eat or talking about different things or just talking about what would be best to cook. Um, so it didn't feel like even maybe if that was eleven minutes of it was just nothing but looking at food. Maybe I would have had a different choice. But like I said, it felt like it was just an OVA for the the Unlimited Blade Work series that just features them getting together and having a, a wholesome chat about food and stuff like that, which maybe that played a huge part of it, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fantastic little series. It was very, uh, Yashike relaxing healing type show. Didn't really involve too much. And it was just cute kind of seeing them all enjoy some food. So 
definitely recommend it if you're a fan of these series. If you're a huge fan of these characters, you're going to love this series. Um, yeah, it was a very, very enjoyable show. So. I don't much suggest it to anybody who doesn't follow yeah, if you're the, not series, a fan of the series. Because you're not going to follow the, the jokes that they, they play. Yeah, like Saber lot. getting all defensive when one of them walks to the front door. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to miss that. You're going to miss a lot of those points. There you go. That's today's menu for the Emia family. I'm kind of sad to see it go after so long, but apparently they're going to have like three new series this year for the Fate franchise, so at least we have all that to look forward to. So yeah, that's, that's, that's all of them. That's all the shows that we have for the first part of the fall 2018 anime season reviews. Hope you guys enjoyed this little run through all these things. If you guys definitely enjoyed any of these shows, definitely tell us what you liked about them in our our thread for this particular podcast episode. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, but yeah, if uh, if you have watched some of these shows, you might want to listen to our spoiler segment after the music. We'll go into a little talk about uh, SSSS Gridman, uh, a little talk about Rascal Does Not Dream of Bloody Girl Senpai, maybe a little bit into Irodoku. And I think that's about it. But um, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this first part. Again, we'll have three parts of this review segments for the fall 2018 season. And you all take care. Oh, in spite of how the world decides to see my life, would I still have the chance for us to say goodbye over and over again? If I decide to burn instead of fading out, I still would like a chance for us to say goodbye of falling in love Let's start our spoiler discussion about with SSS Gridman. I have to ask you, Chris, what did you think about the ending? Which part? Like the where the part where Akane is leaving and leaves Rika behind, and then you have the whole live action woman waking up and <laughs> the live I, that was totally Akane. You know it was. I thought it was such a cool little uh, tidbit. It was like. Because at at the end I was like, okay, is this kind of one of those comments on on are we all living in a in a um, in a uh, in a simulation? Is kind of a a big joke on the internet and all that all that stuff. But no, it was even farther than that. Is that the human was joining the the computer program? It was like, okay, where where did, where are you planning on going with this? Okay, this this is kind of cool that it, it, they went with that. Okay. And and Akane was building a program of some sort, and the kaiju were some kind of debugging program, and it was like this was really, really a weird and interesting little concept that they pulled together here. 
No, it was what was what was fascinating about it is that the, it's like it seems like there's two ways to interpret the ending. The first is yeah that Akane wakes up and that this might have been a dream world and Akane wakes up and she's the girl in the live action because I think you do kind of see her uh I think you see her sweater in the in, in there somewhere. But where it kind of turns into probably meaning a lot more than what you initially think is if you think that the girl that wakes up is Rika. And that's where it like really kind of unfolds. If you think about what it ends up turning into, because based on the conversations that Akane has with Rika, it almost turns into this idea of, uh, I think Akane says at some point, or Rika says at some point that uh, I hope to see you again or something like that. And Akane is like, no, I, I hope not. And what it turns into is this concept that Rika was like, Rika was the girl that wakes up. Because she has the same hair. She has long hair and everything. Akana doesn't have long hair. No, uh, I she thought, has black hair. Huh? I thought Rika wished that wished that I I wish I see you or I wish I could stay with you forever. But um I think it's best that I don't get that wish granted or something like that. Right. Yeah, don't have doesn't granted something like that. But anyways, um the girl has long hair, it's black hair. Um you see some uh, some objects, and I think you see their headphones in there or something like that. But what it turns into is instead, and I, I give credit to Nearly on Red for um, kind of uh, enhancing this this thought process because I think it, I think we're kind of on the same page. Um, check out his YouTube videos, by the way. He's fantastic. I don't know why he has such few uh, subscribers. He's he's awesome at analyzing these shows. Uh, anyways, uh, Akane Arika is the girl that wakes up. And what the concept then becomes is that the world that she's in is a world that was created. Akane is the girl that Rika wanted to be. So in there, she becomes Akane. So basically, the world that we see throughout the entire series is Rika made as Akane. This is this perfect girl that she wanted to become. She wanted to be loved by everybody. She created herself as Akane. But she also created Rika, who was her prior self. And she wanted to... And then it goes into the whole thing of wanting to be loved or desiring to love yourself. So she made Rika love... uh, She designed Rika to love her. But then in doing bad things in this particular world, she became disgusted by herself in the form of Rika not liking Akane, even though, again, Akane, or she made herself to love herself. It just kind of keeps unfolding from that point. And the whole comment that they make just before they disappear is kind of stating the idea of, no, because I don't want to see that nasty self again. It, it just, it's just, it, you think of that concept, it just kind of just, it keeps unfolding this world. She created this world where she's perfect, she's Akane, she's she's very beautiful figure, big boob she's popular she's beautiful uh she can change anything she wants there's this girl that stepped on my bread so i'm gonna kill her and remove her from the world because i want this world to be my perfect little world and in the end of trying to create this perfect little world that she gets rid of all the nuisances she ends up pushing herself away she becomes disgusted with herself and that's why rika didn't like akane for the, the or was was pushed away and it's just that concept was really, really fascinating to kind of go through and, and really kind of uh, unfold as you went through it. And that's, like I said, that's the reason why it kind of explains how these characters are the way they are and how they created Yuta and uh, why Yuta was supposed to like her but end up looking to Rika and how that kind of bothered her as well. 
Why would she like my old boring self when I'm here and I'm beautiful kind of thing? It was it was really, truly fascinating. That's why I said it was really kind of clever in the idea that I thought that these characters were really plain and I wasn't going to get much out of them. But when I look back at it with that kind of uh, theorizing perspective, everything starts to fit in the play and it's really, really cool. One big problem with that. Rika doesn't follow Kaiju. Do what? One big problem is that Rika doesn't follow Kaiju. We mean follow Kaiju. uh, Sho's biggest thing with Akane is the fact that she follows Kaiju and she is very into Kaiju. If Rika is a mirror image of Akane, then she would follow Kaiju as well. Well, she also doesn't have big boobs and she's not popular. Well, no, I I, I, I got that. It's just. It's just that, she created that, a perfect self I'm, that would she, be appealing to everybody. That's the concept. So she created she, herself to be into but kaiju. But she wouldn't be into kaiju if she, if she felt that that was a thing that was a, a downside to herself, which she obviously did see that because she was uh, reluctant to reveal that to show. Now, when she did reveal it to show, she found a, a, a kinship with show, but. If it would be exactly the opposite if she th- felt that was a, a stigma and she wouldn't have revealed that at all, or she wouldn't have even had that at all. And Rika would have been the one no, that was she very was, into it. Uh, in that whole segment, she was appealing to each one of them to, in order to figure out why they were pushing away from her. I understand. In the first, I'm talking about there's there's two instances where she was talking to show about uh, uh, Kaiju. The first time she was reluctant to reveal it, the second time she did flat out just say, I'm into this because she would create. She created a perfect self that everybody would love. Okay, but That's if what she thought is. that was a stigma, she wouldn't have put that into herself when she recreated herself. I'm just, I'm just pointing out a flaw in the in the system. I, I, I like your idea. It's a cool right, idea. Rika wasn't into it because she was her whole boring self. I like the idea. It was an interesting idea. I just was pointing out something that I see as a flaw. It's fine. Well, I don't. I don't. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a flaw because she's supposed to be perfect. That's that was a concept. So. All right. I. I anyway, the. Uh, I wanted to talk about something that I had thought of. Yeah, shoot. Anti was cool too. I, I like. I said I loved whenever Kane threw food at him. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the 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 other kaiju was cute as well. Um, that was a big, huge revealing point was when she shows up with, with Yuta and kind of unveils that the world is kind of reforming itself over and over again to whatever she desires. Yuta was Yuta was probably one of the only other kind of weird aspects to it um, in that he was this character that almost seemed like he was almost made to a flaw because he didn't have that kind of past self to himself. And I think that's probably... Rika didn't know much about Yuta, but had a crush on Yuta in the real world. And so she didn't have much to go with when she designed Yuta, but just created him to love her, Akane as herself. But then she ended up, he, again, he ended up, his eyes were ended up on Rika where he, you know, he shouldn't have been. And that's what kind of frustrated her. Um, I did like the fact that the show. But yeah, show was technically the only part of it that just. If I had to give any kind of complaint to the show as a whole, show was the only character. Now, I know, again, this goes back to the whole thing about Gridman itself. The whole Gridman fights, I don't follow because I'm not a huge fan of Gridman. And so I feel that show is like the geek going, oh, yeah, by the way, here's all the the the, the references. He's, he's naming off all these uh, kaiju. And I'm like, okay, so maybe he's just there as like the insert kaiju geek that knows about all this stuff and maybe that's why he's there but maybe that's why i don't 
I thought he was probably like the most uh, useless character of the entire story was because he was the insert to kind of drop the knowledge that I just don't follow. At least he was uh, uh, acknowledged his uselessness. <laughs> I, I I really did enjoy the the concept of the the big reveal of Akane at 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 towards the middle parts when when we actually got through what three episodes four episodes it seemed like it was even farther in when they finally revealed when the when the when the lolly kaiju popped in and it was the this kind of a moment when you kind of stop and you you reevaluate the entire show and you suddenly realize that the bad guy is technically the good guy and how are they twisting this around and it was really this kind of that and that's what i was talking about where i c- kind of started questioning how i felt about the show and it was i i never want to because like like i said when i was re- when we were doing the review is the the action scenes were really kind of frustrating for the show because I really, really enjoyed the show itself in the story it was trying to portray. And it was mostly because Akane was such a fascinating key to this show. Taking Akane and making the making her into the god and then questioning whether or not the god of this world is technically the bad guy. She wasn't portraying as being a bad guy. Yeah, she had her selfish selfish motives of I don't like this, and so therefore I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy it. Okay, that's technically a malevolent god and or a malevolent god, and so technically you should say that's a bad god. But she outside of I just think this is annoying, and so I'm gonna destroy it. Well. If you go to the extreme in any situation and you say God is God, if God doesn't like something, it's God. You don't really have a lot of say in the matter of whether or not that God is right in not liking that or not. If you take it to its logical extreme, you can oppose that all you want, but when it comes down to it, it's not going to matter. He's God or she's God in this case. Uh-uh, not when you introduce Gridman. <laughs> when you introduce Gridman, <laughs> that throws everything out the window. No, um, no, and and this started becoming an interesting question. Starting to think about these things, and when when we have um, uh, the lolly uh, the lolly kaiju come in and ex- and and take him out, and then you introduce uh, Anti, which he was a very fascinating uh, character as well. Is now we're questioning what is a what is a kaiju? Are the kaiju's technically the bad guys well technically these kaijus are have hearts and at least one of them just want to fight gridman one of them wants to fight gridman the other one is just flat out totally on on the gridman team and just helping out um so it became a very interesting interplay in all these characters and it was like okay nothing is as it this is well thought out because nothing is as it seems so let's go to the total end and it was a lot of fun getting through that yeah, even with it the was, annoying fights. That's what that's the frustrating thing about it is that, and again, this is nothing against Gridman. It's nothing against Gridman fans. I'm just saying this is a perspective of somebody that is not into Gridman at all. It's it sucks that I would almost I would I would have gave this show. It could have been a contender for the the anime of the year if all you did was just remove Gridman from it. 
then it would be just this perfect show for me. Because like I said, the only thing that was really kind of the uh, the side that I wasn't interested in and thus it was lost on me was the Gridman stuff. And so if that would have been taking out and just made it like it's just a standard mecha thing with no references to something that I don't know anything about, I would almost say it would have been a perfect show, which is just crazy to kind of think about. But again, I'm sure I'm, I'm hoping that the fans that were fans of Gridman were just absolutely taken away by this and that they enjoyed as much as I did. Or maybe it just turned out to be the uh, stain in the Gridman world and they hated that it was ever created. We don't know. <laughs> Um, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about Bunny Girl Senpai, mainly because, and this sucks because we've just, we talked about this, we're like, out of nowhere, we start talking like crazy about this show, but I did want to get my, my theories out here on the podcast so that when the movie does come out, um, hopefully, uh, I will write. <laughs> but no, the things that we didn't really get answers on was who is Shoko, and technically, uh, Okay, who was Shoko? We never really got an answer on that one. And where did the claw marks come on on Sakuta's body? Um, And I would probably tentatively, based on my theories, put in there as well what caused Kaede to uh, either be... uh, What caused Kaede's adolescent syndrome? And the the thing that kind of we we were discussing, I don't remember which one of us said it first, but the thing I was kind of posing was that Shoko's existence was never acknowledged by anybody else except for the writing that she made on the note that Maya made. And I could have easily seen that Sakuta, in his adolescent syndrome, manifested Shoko because, again, nobody else has acknowledged her. And that's the only reason the note was there for Maya to actually acknowledge. But she never seen Shoko. Nobody's ever, I don't think we've ever seen anybody acknowledge Shoko. So Shoko is a manifestation by Sakuta every time something bad happens that he can't handle. Uh, the claw marks on his chest are, again, manifest by him based on uh, whenever something... I, I think whenever he feels that he's to blame about something. Which does lead me into my other theory, which is that everything that happened to Kaede was because of an adolescent syndrome that Sukta was actually dealing with, not that Kaede was. So him seeing the abuse that she was receiving in texts his adolescent syndrome manifested the abuse upon Kaede and maybe even caused her to lose her memories. But so my other he thought... he could protect her from, from them. Right. My thought was that either... Yes, I think that the, his adolescent syndrome caused the abuse marks that she had. But then there's two theories that I have for her memory. One is that, yeah, he might have caused it to protect her. And that's maybe why he blamed himself and that's why he caused the scars upon himself. Um... Either that or that he his adolescent syndrome caused the abuse upon her, but her adolescent syndrome caused her to lose her memory to hide. So maybe she did have her own case of adolescent syndrome, and thus the two things that occurred to her were separate, or that he could have manifest them both. Um, but I'm I'm pretty darn sure that Shoko is manifest by Sukta, and I'm pretty sure that the marks on his chest are caused by him as well as self-inflicted because he blames himself about something. So it was one of those things that it kind of early on in the show he kind of brushes over it with uh, over it with uh, I think it was Mai he was mentioning uh, his version when he had showed his chest to her and he started talking about her situation and it was kind of a fleeting thought. And so I mentioned it to Andrew, but I wasn't able to kind of word it right. And then when when all was said and done and we actually got through Kaide's story, Andrew comes in and says, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, 
yeah, I mentioned that like way back there. And it was like, but I think you, you're hitting it a lot better than I did. <laughs> and I think Shoko was probably the key for it is, is what made it kind of all fall into place is I didn't have kind of all everything there and it wasn't quite there. Like I said, it was a fleeting thought. Well, no, you were, you were saying that, that Sukta was causing all, all of them, and I don't. No, no, that was that was just that. a that was just a joke that I was making. Oh, I don't remember the other when one we were then. discussing it the other day. Um, I was talking about that way back at at like episode three or four that maybe he was causing the 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 scars on Kaide and then on himself. Oh, I don't remember. That. And that was it. I didn't I didn't quite follow anything else because I couldn't quite place how the heck. Um, it, it all worked and you were like, nah, this, that, that, that ain't even making any sense because, um, she, or they said that, uh, the, the scars were made by her and I'm like, okay, I guess my theories were out the window. And then when, when you mentioned it, when we were talking about Shoko, you're, you, you put it all into a, a solid, uh, a fitting where it all made sense because Shoko was the, the key that made all of that make sense. So yeah, I agree with you. I've, I'm not saying that your theory about the idea that he's causing all of it is wrong. Um, and that could be very well what they end up getting into with the movie. Maybe there was some kind of connection that ends up kind of triggering something. But Chris was saying that there was a possibility that Sukta could be causing all of them, which I can kind of I'm, – I'm, I'm open to. The only thing that I said that was kind of a, a, a something to throw into that the gear with a wrench was – the wrench that would be thrown in the gear is just that uh, would be Nodoka and Tomoe. Because in both those situations, he didn't know the turmoil that they were trying to flee from. Tomei was trying to flee from uh, having to tell the boy no and then being possibly ousted by her friends. And then, again, possibly being bullied, which was what Sakta wanted to help Tomoe for. And then Nodoka, who, or Nodoka, who was my sister, and her kind of jealousy and, and desire to be my those were the two that he didn't really know. He knew Rio was having struggles with, uh, with, with Yuma. He knew Kaede was having struggles. Um, I guess he could have known that Mai has some kind of issue with that. And I guess Mai would be another yeah. one. He wouldn't know that Mai wanted to be basically not seen. But again, it could be a thing where he's present is, is something they're feeding off of and what triggers it. Maybe it's subconsciously triggered because they're around him and that they feed off what he's causing. There could be a possibility. Well, that, that's, he's a that's god, why, too. Yeah, he's a god, he, too. He's a con. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that, that's kind of the thing that kind of throws out there. Like, I can see a possibility there. Maybe it's just his presence causes it and that they're kind of feeding off of it. But um, this is a cool thought anyways. Uh, I would, I, def I definitely, like I said, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing everything kind of answered but I, I i'm i'm pretty positive we're pretty spot on with the idea that he's at least for kaede and shoko is 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 the responsibility there so it'll it'll be cool to kind of get those those answered in the end but um yeah love that show i want more of it uh i guess we can quickly talk uh my, at least throw my thoughts on there on on Irodoku's ending uh just so people know why i was positive on it and why possibly chris was uh, not as positive as my I won't say he's negative on it. Um, so if you haven't watched Doku and don't want to see the ending or hear about the ending, this is point turn it off on it. Um, no, the the reason why I liked it so much is when you think about uh, they don't they specifically mention the idea that the timeline 
uh, there is no par- you. You're like I said. Your thoughts is that they're going to do parallel timelines, or they're just going to they're not going to address the pos- the the aspect of uh, the grandma in the first episode knew Hitomi from the past. They she was specifically going out of her way to repeat the cycle that she knew already happened. And when you think about that, it's really really cute story because. Technically, the grandma knew Hitomi was going through something and specifically did not intervene until that point because she knew that she had to send her back in order for the cycle to complete. And that's really, really cool when you think about it. She was holding onto that moon dust that entire time. In that first episode, she walked up with the moon dust because she knew that she had to gather that for the next, for the last 60 years. She was gathering that because she knew that she was going to have to send her granddaughter back in time again. And that was really cute. She was waiting that whole time for Hitomi to come back so that she can bring out that time capsule to show, to say, finally, I can talk to you about where you went back to because this whole time I haven't been able to tell you about the experience that I had with you when you were, when I was a kid. Here is this time capsule box that has all these pictures we took together that I had to hide away because... I couldn't tell you that you, I experienced – I seen you when I was a child. It was really, really cute. I really, really liked it. Uh, that – it really gives heart to, Koh- to Koh- uh, Kohaku because that shows the determination that she had to completing this cycle because she knew Hitomi was going to eventually go back in time, was going to find that happiness – she was going to be experiencing the stuff that she got to experience back when she was. This sounds really weird to explain this because I'm talking about two characters about two different timelines. Um, it was just really cute when you think about that. I thought that it was as much as I, um, I just think as much as I didn't like the whole everybody stand there and the light beams happen every time they say goodbye. I thought that was cheesy as hell. It was. It was easily trumped by the fact that they had this massive cherry on the top at the very end when I realized just how much heart that grandma has. It was like you say that it was that grandma moment (laughs) in the show. The grandma moment hits you and it hits you hard when you think about all the stuff that she was doing for Hitomi that she couldn't say that she was doing for Hitomi until Hitomi came back. Um, It was bittersweet too having the fact that she still had to leave everybody and here's Oh yeah, by the way, Yuito made a story and that's the story you've been reading this whole time. That's the person that you read that book from. So you now you know who the author is of the book that you read when you were a kid. It was really really cute. Even though it was really bittersweet. <laughs> I'm just going to say you won ish. <laughs> And just leave it at that. Because I brought up grandma. No. I brought up how see, hard see, grandma the, is. And he's like, oh, that's right, grandma. No, no. See, see, you you put a bow on the box and made it complete for me. And then it just irritated me ten times more because now they're... See, at least I had <laughs> the fact that this was manga bait to complain about. It's not okay? manga bait. If you There's say no it was a complete loop... Well, okay, yeah, you're right. Then it is a complete story. But now it irritates me more because all these things that I wanted to know are now out in the open and I'm never going to get a completion on any of it. Because it pretty much implied (laughs) all of it. That was the whole time capsule thing, Chris. Uh, Uh, 
the other kind of again, this is going to get credit on Nilion Red. He kind of posed the question of um, that the Hitomi. I missed the reference to it. Apparently, I think that they he mentioned the quote in it, and I was like, I kind of recognize that quote. I totally missed them kind of insinuating that Hitomi did all that, like that was Hitomi's magic, which kind of makes it pointless to why Kohaku would have. Uh, gathered all the moon dust, unless Kohaku gathered the moon, uh, the moon sand, because she knew that Hitomi would use the moon sand to go back in time. His point was that that she decided when she wouldn't come back. When she found happiness, her magic was no longer needed. The magic was caused by her desire to find happiness. Once she found happiness, the magic wore off, and so I can kind of see that it would it would make sense because. They explained that Kohaku and Hitomi's magic was different, and Hitomi's magic was specifically designed to bring things in and out of objects or something like that. And uh, so it makes sense that Hitomi, that it, it fits in line with the fact that her magic was different than her grandmother's, and that sh- that's more in line with her magic. So it makes sense to me, but I totally missed that aspect of it. So that was cool to kind of think about. It was all right. I'm still mad. There was things un, un, unanswered. Kahaku, best girl for the show. That's easy. There it was go. a good show. Kahaku's best girl. I think that's it. I don't want to talk about banana fish anymore. <laughs> I I do actually. I I absolutely hated the way they pulled everything out. The, Lee, because I was he mad. Was so it was such really? a good character. He was really such a, such a fantastic character. Like what he did to his brother and how that was like. I was like, yeah, I mean, because his brother even, was a jerk, and I liked his rise to power, and then they just did nothing with them. Well, even even when they when they when they kind of revealed who was it that they was it him that they revealed was the one who watched his his mom being raped. Yeah, it was it was it was him, and it was like okay, I think it was actually both of them. They actually. could have done a lot more with that, but because Ash is happy and I'm not. <laughs> really that's your motivation your entire motivation for taking on another mafia is because he's happy and i'm not really come on his entire story turned into a tantrum tantrum jealousy <laughs> thing hissy fit like literally hissy fitting in the room constantly dino dino I like was sing came in and just slapped him all like yeah <laughs> somebody <laughs> finally slapped him Dino was really cool. I, 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 even up until the moment he went, um, he, 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 he popped in and one, one moment he, he said, just went to he the said, background is the problem with Dino. Yeah, he was always he, a fascinating character, in, but he was always background towards the later part. He came in on Ash one, one time during the, during the hospital and he says something to the effect of, is this all I raised you to be or something like that? And it was like, wow, what a slap in the face. This is, the, and and it made his 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 character kind of halfway interesting in 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 towards the end latter episodes, but then it fell through. It was like because they they revealed for a moment that even when Ash was going against him, that was him. His he he was proud of him in that moment, and it was such a cool moment of take the mantle. You have this now. Take the mantle, and. In that that moment, even though he was still stuck in all of his little 
tidbits, it's it, it gave that moment of you see Dino as the bad guy. He wasn't quite the bad guy. And then towards the end, when when the colonel shot him, and it was like, okay, what what was the point in all this? And it, was it was very like, anticlimactic. It for was Dino. so anticlimactic. <laughs> and then and then he he go, goes into the the monitor room and punches a couple buttons and stops something. I don't know. I did that before then, but yeah. And then and then a little while. No, he was he was shot. That was why he was on his cane because he was he got shot way back there when they first entered the building. Right, and then he, he went, shot him, and then that's when he went to the the control room and screwed up everything. Right, and then, and then later on, then he came later up on, there he came and, and shot the colonel, and and then fell, fell. off the building. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was sad because yeah, it was it was about the point where you started seeing Ash like messing with his finances and stuff that you're like, yeah, Dino was is was trying to mold him, and he still kept with it, and it was like this could this could be the cool aspect of the later part of it but yeah then it turned into the hospital and he's just trying to get claim his power back basically and trying to help ash who basically destroyed his power that was what was fascinating lee and his rise to power what was was fascinating and then that was after that point on that it just it just drifted away everybody just turned into kind of like oh and lee's like eh, i don't know what i hate he's funny he's, he's happy i don't like that and dino's over there just trying to stay on the show like like he's like an actor that they're trying to get back on the stage <laughs> that was the struggle i liked blanca even too but blanca was pretty cool he was probably the only thing that kept it afloat towards the later part because like i said lee was throwing a hiss of fit and dina wasn't even there that's that's again, all the that's all the, the banana fish went just fell through the cracks in the second second half I forgot like, banana fish even existed. Yeah, exactly. It was like, okay, what the heck happened to the And then the all of a sudden you're fish? like, oh, that's what the colonel's after. Oh, okay. I think so. I think <laughs> that's what he's after. I don't remember anymore. I thought colonel was just a hired mercenary. But then, but, hey, you know what? I, pff, who knows? He was, he had the most flawless uh, backstory of all of them. You remember that one time, Ash? <laughs> God, seriously? I will make, I will make you... <laughs> Thanks I'm gonna, for I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dominate better. you. Yeah, I'm gonna dominate you better than Dino ever did. <laughs> Jeez, guys, Anyways, come up with some better motivations, please. Yeah, um, I'm done talking about banana fish. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to let it go, <laughs> and we'll have to talk to it about it ever again. Anyways, so, that, so now y'all know exactly what it was that bugged us. It, now you, yeah. it's out there in the open, and y'all can be bad. I thought we were pretty clear. So there you go. Anyways, hope you guys enjoyed this little quick uh, spoiler discussion, and y'all take care. Oh.